Hello and welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. We are here doing episode 37. We've got another teacher's edition in store for you. Our topic today is teaching languages to different ages. And I am here with my man with the plan, my guy who's extra fly, my buddy Jared. What's going on, Jared? Hello. Here at the Untranslatable Podcast, we are not ageist in any direction. That is true. I we agree. welcome all ages. Um... This is a family-friendly podcast, and you can become a polyglot at any age. That is the main lesson we want to uh, pass along to everyone, to the world, and to share that message. Follow us on Twitter, Untranslatable1, the number one. Follow us on Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast. Uh, email us, untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about stuff. Tell us about your favorite untranslatables that you say around the uh, say around the house that no one else knows about, similar to uh, slipping on gator piss, for example. Um, tell us your travel stories. I don't know. You know, just say hi. And, Actually, don't, don't just forget, say hi. Say something. <laughs> right, and don't forget to give us a review yes. on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. We would love to hear some feedback from you. Yes, five stars. And uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So what's been going on, buddy? How's uh, how's life been treating you? Life has been treating me well, man. Um, It's been it's been the the transition from um, from summer to fall, which is kind of nice because it's really only nice for like a month. And then it's like, oh, it's now it's cold and no one wants that. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 nice. I, I have no complaints. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, at work, I'll say this. I, um, this is on a rare occasion where I'm on like a, uh, hardcore deadline. Like that's, I usually have like things to do by a certain time, but never like, a you have to finish this. And I have two things I have to finish by the end of October, slightly after the end of October. And, um, like it's putting a little anxiety, anxiety in me, but I kind of like it, you know? Because it's not like I can't do it, but uh, I, I kind of like that uh, pressure. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, push, it pushes you, I think, a little bit, but, but sometimes in a good way. Yeah, I, I agree with especially that. since I don't get that pressure often. It, like, right. Usually, I'm, like, it's a little bit more lax. So it is nice to be like, oh, that's right. This is how most people actually do a job with a deadline or where they have to uh, <laughs> right. do something by. And I was like, oh, shit. Feels like For I'm on sure. a cooking show. right right time nice cooking utensils down (sighs) you got the enough uh you got enough ingredients to cook what you need to cook (laughs) i i i've put in all the excel um all the excel formulas i can (laughs) i've done all the market research i can i've put in all the final transitions on my powerpoint presentation now i i I wipe my hands of it. I'm gone. There you go. I'm clean. And I, I, I've done I, all I can do. I hope you put some gifts in uh, in that PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> of course. Of course. Like two, three weeks ago, I realized how easy it was to insert. Right? Well, that's true. That, ain't that the truth? I realized, I figured out how easy it was to, uh, you know, put gifts in PowerPoints. I've been using them now in like almost <laughs> all my PowerPoints. I got to be really careful not to overdo it, but there's so many funny gifts that I can get my students to laugh at. Yeah, that explain a so point. I, uh-huh. Exactly. Like memes and gifts sometimes there's a 
there's a lot of like kind of communication going on in there. Well, in in like a couple pictures, you know. Yeah, and the be- I mean the best thing about it is you have to make a funny point in at max what you know seven words. So mm-hmm. it requires you to be very good with your word choice and get to the point immediately. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's and and I mean jokes are hilarious because people relate to them. So a lot of times those quote unquote memes and jokes actually. Uh, everyone's like, oh, this is funny because we all we all know we all have been there. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh. Exactly. It was funny. I was talking to a colleague of mine at school and we, we talked about how it's important to add some type of personal touch on your lesson plans. And for me, a lot of those are gifts, memes, <laughs> jokes. I just showed today uh, we watched a clip by Trevor Noah um, because I teach technical English at my school. We're, we're on a new unit about like units of measurement, shapes, like mm-hmm. counting and things like that. And so uh, so there's this really great clip of Trevor Noah that talks about how absurd our imperial system is in, in America. Yeah. And the students loved it. They were cracking up. So it's, it's always nice when you can get a, a good reaction out of them. And uh, it's like everybody's on the same wavelength, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I did not know you could put gifts. I mean, I guess I, it doesn't surprise me. But I've never attempted to put a GIF into a PowerPoint presentation. But most of my presentations have been either for school or for work. So uh, I don't know how they feel about GIFs for work. I tell you what, you put but some you put some GIFs in your work PowerPoints. You better be ready for a quick promotion. I, although I will say, I wish I, I actually audibly laughed uh, in a meeting because my coworker, who I do a lot of uh, work with, uh, we were talking about. Um, we were talking about um, electric cars and and uh, and the future of, of electric cars and all that stuff. And uh, my coworker made a presentation in it. He put the gif of um, Elon Musk smoking that blunt. <laughs> yes, that is and, and, I, and I didn't know I didn't know he had done that before he was presenting it. Uh, I like audibly laughed, <laughs> and I was like, oh. And I don't think anyone else knew what it was because they're all older. But I was like, oh, wow, you just put that in there, didn't you? <laughs> that's, that's a ballsy move. <laughs> uh, but I don't think anyone else really knew what was happening. I mean, maybe they did. Everyone, everyone has heard about that, especially for the car industry. You've probably heard about that. I would so they probably so, did. Yeah. I was just like, wow, that's a b- bold move for, for a professional. But I, I respect it. I respect it. <laughs> For sure. <clears throat> Sometimes you gotta take those risks. And you know? I mean, we were. I mean, what, why beat around the bush? We were kind of talking about, uh, you know, how it's changing and how you know people are sometimes doing stupid stuff. For example, uh, <laughs> what uh, Elon Musk did. People would consider that stupid. Some people would. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I I gotta say, man. So so. Um, seems like your your work has been changing in terms of, you know, you got, you got a little bit of a little less wiggle room because you got the deadlines up around the corner. Yes. I'm lucky. I'm like at the very opposite end of the spectrum because I've been working really hard during my planning hours. And I actually have a really good idea of what I'm going to do for my lessons for the next two to three weeks, which is awesome. Oh, that's got, that's gotta be a good feeling. Yeah. When I left school today, it was like, uh, it was like this big weight had been lifted off my shoulders because I really knew what I was going to be doing within the next two to three weeks and kind of it's, could plan it out more. It's interesting for someone like me who does this podcast with you to see how you work because that's kind of the same way you bring topics to this podcast. It's <laughs> one day true. you're just like, fuck it, here we go. Rapid fire, ideas, ideas. 
and uh, I feel like my my <laughs> ideas come in come in waves, whether it's for teaching or for podcasting or for music. Like, it's it's always I'll have like this like weird spur where it seems like like I'm not even coming up with the ideas. Like the ideas are coming to me. Right? Like, does that make any sense? No, I get that because that's how it is for me too. Like like it, you just have to kind of be aware. To, uh, I mean, I don't know about your for your class. But um, you like at least for this, like I just feel like I just kind of have to be like aware of what's happening more, and pay attention to my life and and actually live life is how I feel like is the best way to uh, come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- can you give some examples of some of these ideas for uh, for your class? So next week, uh, well, this we're gonna break the fourth the fourth wall here again. I know, but next would have been uh, like. <laughs> After they well, already uh, <laughs> exactly, but but next week, uh, well, this is what well, they get for well, listening. They there is <laughs> regardless regardless of time. My next le- lesson plans are going to be focused on Halloween traditions in the United States. Okay, so that will be great. Also, I'm going to show them the Jimmy Kimmel videos of the the prank when the, <laughs> yeah. the parents tell their kids they ate all their candy. Yeah, but I had to be really selective about it because the first like two or three. Videos on YouTube are just like five minutes of children crying. Right. And that's and I was really like, useful. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't really. And plus, might- a lot of my lessons, I teach, you know, like the same lesson with two or three different classes. So I don't want to watch 20 minutes of just children crying in, right. in, in you know, a couple of days. Or all your students will ideal. just think you're insane because they're like, why are we just watching some child cry? Just, <laughs> right. Just cracking up exactly. laughing. Like, isn't this hilarious? Don't you get it? <laughs> and I'd be the only one laughing there. Yeah. Wouldn't be a good look. Uh, but yeah, so Halloween's one topic we're covering. As I said, we're also covering measurements and uh, uh, shapes and counting. So... So we'll be discussing like real life things that are different shapes and ob- um, objects like uh, uh, stuff like that. Also, we're I'm going to have to do a little bit of review of math because we're going to be like, oh, you know, looking at angles and like measuring like circumference so and like, diameter. And oh, OK, because I was going to say like tangent, uh, cosine, that kind of stuff. You're going into a little I guess that's trigonometry. Yeah. Yeah, that's trig. OK, it would. I think it'd be more geometry. Okay. I would think right. cuz we're using shapes. Right. Okay. So like but, uh, uh See, I keep going back to trigonometry cuz then I want to say Pythagorean theorem, but that's also trigonometry, isn't it? Cuz that would be tri- triangles. Um What you're is asking trigonometry? The wrong guy here. What is trigonometry? That's you're now my that's now the here. question I have. I literally haven't had a math class since 10th grade. I think grade trigonometry in high is based off of three angles and cer- and like um all right, jeez. I'm Googling it. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, it's triangle-based math. <laughs> yep. Branch of mathematics studies relationships involving lengths and angles of triangles. The field emerge in the Hellenistic world oh, during the 3rd century BC from applications of geometry right. to astronomical studies. So it's a combination mm. of geometry and astronomy, which I did not know. So that's kind of cool. I opened Wikipedia. And I was looking at like all the picture, like the picture of the circle with the triangles within it, showing the sine and cosine mm-hmm. and tangent, and all that stuff. And I literally started getting like uh, flashbacks to high school. I was like, <laughs> "Oh God, no! Oh God, no! Please!" <laughs> right? Exactly. I did my TI eighty <laughs> three. Yeah, I haven't. Oh man, I haven't done any math like this in forever. So I know we'll see. I'll I'll let you know how it goes. But uh, 
Do they have? We'll they don't have. I mean, they have calculators if they're in that kind mm-hmm. of school. Oh, definitely. Are you are, are you going to require? Are you going to tell them to bring those? Really, I'm I'm more concerned that they understand the English vocabulary in relation to what they're doing. Right, like rhombus. So for me, it's not exactly. For me, it's not even about can you do the math problems correctly. For me, it's can you use the vocabulary correctly. Yeah, like for example, so I'm not their math teacher. One mm-hmm. that I um. Now, I don't say I still struggle with, but I still have to stop and think is the like uh, octagon, hectagon, um, pentagon, those kind of things mm-hmm. like uh, those. You always got to stop and, and think. And then whenever I do, like if I'm say I'm looking at an octagon or a uh, pe- pentagon, I'll mm-hmm. like count it. Maybe not a pentagon. That's a little easier. But say anything more than five, like I'll count the corners of it and I'll be like, oh, wait, where did I start? Did I start? here or- <laughs> <laughs> right right for sure and i'm like oh I th- it was like 10 how's this 10 i was like oh no wait no i, th- I think i went around twice <laughs> <laughs> so yeah other than that though i'm hoping to do uh, a few lessons on um like one of them i'm planning on doing based on like technology mm-hmm. and social media uh, we already did a lesson on cell phones, and that was a lot of fun. Can you tell your? Can you ask your students to give us some tips on, on social media? They probably know better than us. Probably at least at least I guarantee you they know Instagram better because when I taught my lesson on cell phones, we discussed you know what their favorite apps are, and it was very very clear that Instagram was like the majority app that they use. And then I asked them, I felt super old asking asking them this. But I asked them, okay, what are your thoughts on Facebook? And they were like, I mean, it's okay, but Facebook's kind of for old people. Yeah. And I was, I was like, shit, am I really that old? Dude, that's why I told you. I don't, I don't give a shit about Facebook. Right. Um, that's why I essentially leave that to you because it's like, I mean, if you don't do it, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't have right. a problem with it. Obviously, I'm fine with us having one, but uh, it, it just doesn't interest me anymore. But um, right. I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, what I, what I can tell you though, is only, I've only had like three or four students who have said that they have a Twitter and even use Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Pe- Twitter's not, Twitter's kind of been like a steady, just there. Like it's never really like Instagram shot up. I think, well, in the time that Twitter's still been pretty steady, just ch- mm-hmm. chugging along. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it's different, different audiences. I, I, I feel oh, like on Instagram, I could only scroll through so many pictures. You know what I mean? Oh, I remember what I was going to say. What I was going to say was um, every, every, like every time I'm on Instagram, especially on ours, not really on my own personal one because I don't really give a shit that much, but on ours for the podcast, I'm always like, we need to step up our story game. But I was like, but I also just don't feel like it. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, that's so much work. It's like, um, but yeah. I do sometimes look at other people's Instagrams and I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. You uh, put a lot of effort into this. I can tell. Right. Yeah, and I just don't even know where to begin with like creating a good story. So to all of our listeners out there, <laughs> let us know for, what you would like to see for a story for Instagram. We're looking for interns to just do it for us. Not paid. <laughs> right. We can't offer you anything. <laughs> we can offer you lots of cool untranslatables before they drop. Right. How about that? Yeah, I guess. Become a polyglot better and faster than uh, yeah. all of our listeners out Fast there. Fast track to polyglotism. That's what we'll call it. It'll be our, uh, it's, it'll be like a program that we offer that you could put on your resume. I, 
I attended a program that allowed me to uh, access my fast pass to polyglotism. And they probably won't even look into it, but it sounds great. Right. And they'll be like, wow, fast pass to polyglotism. It's like, yes, I speak uh, about 47 languages. And it only took a all of them are random idioms, and I can't actually put together logical sentences. But hey, but it only took it listening to a hundred episodes of the Untranslatable podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's it's a good feeling, man. I I, uh, I gotta say, being able to not have to worry about planning because I think is it safe to say both of us are are planners? Uh, depends. Depends. I'm more of a sporadic worker. I, I'm very okay. scatterbrained. I, I write a lot of things down and I take a lot of notes. And but and, but I don't think that makes me a good planner. I just think I'm very good. I don't forget things and I'm good at. But it's I don't think it's well organized the way I I, I function. Like if you mm-hmm. if you if you saw my calendar on my phone, it would be a lot of reminders. But I don't really think I don't think that really makes me a good planner. <laughs> That's fair. <clears throat> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my ducks in a row in terms of my lesson plans so I can, you know, also focus on a lot of other stuff. Um, you know, trying to learn a lot more music and uh You're in a band. Also learn more chess. Two bands, I guess, tech theoretically. Well, a choir and a band, yeah. yeah. Are you ha- so. are you still have you still gone to been going to lessons for uh the choir? Yeah. Okay. Well, well rehearsal, but yeah. Oh, sh- yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I got to actually talk to my bandmates about that as well because I was going to I was going to just um do choir when we didn't have band practice, but I might see if we can move band practice to a different day so I can still do choir. Because I've I've realized I was sitting there um the other day in in choir rehearsal and I understood a ton of what the director was saying to everybody. Hmm. And like I'm, I'm not gonna get that from my band practice because we speak English. I'm not gonna get that from school because the only time that I hear check is in my office, and I'm usually so busy doing other things that I'm not really paying attention. Right. So um, first and foremost, yeah. mm-hmm. with these ex- extracurriculars, your your goal is to, uh, you know, perfect your check. Mm-hmm. So it's like, or or, or at least improve it. I, or, I, okay, that's a better word. So it's like although perfect your check has a nice ring to it, doesn't <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. If uh, <laughs> if um, if you had to choose between the two, you would choose the uh, choir, if anything, because it immerses you more into the language. Mm-hmm. I like that. And we've learned a lot of cool Czech music, like we're singing Czech Christmas carols, right? Um, if I had my sheet music by me, I'd sing a couple to you, oh. but I don't. Plus, Thank I'm God. a bass, so it doesn't really sound very good because oh. I'd just be singing bass lines. Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so yeah, and and I also like the fact that everyone in choir has been so nice and friendly. And there's a few people who speak really good English. So during we always take like a I don't know five ten minute break, mm-hmm. and we and I always have a really wonderful conversation with these people. Uh, plus, I'm one of I think six or seven other guys, and the rest are women. So you know, Cha-ching. I think they need. I hear they, what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what I was saying is we need more guys to sing, but you know, right? Sing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so yeah, it's a good experience. It's a lot of fun. 
if any of our listeners out there ever move to a foreign country and want to learn another language, my tips would be one, um, <laughs> find, find a boyfriend or girlfriend who speaks that language. I think that helps a lot. Obviously I have a girlfriend in the States, so that's not really a possibility. So number two is join some type of extracurricular where you're immersed in the language, which I'm doing right now with choir. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 I feel like the fi- dating someone that speaks that language is a good idea, but only for someone with the similar to you that has that motivation. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's also very easy to be in a relationship like that and only speak the language that both people know, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the other thing is, too, I think if you date someone who, you know, so so like our guest Annabelle, her she's actually with an American and she was telling me she's tried to teach him German and he's just not very motivated. And in a way, it's a little I feel like it might be a little frustrating, maybe, uh, you know, to, to want to share your language and your culture with your significant other. And if they're not super motivated about it, they're not really going to learn it, you know? Yeah. But I could imagine and it's nothing. Mm-hmm. I could imagine that make uh, causing someone, you know, like Annabelle to feel some type of way, you know, it's because I guess it's, you know, to try to it's a way of trying to share. Where you, who you where you grow up and who you are and it's like yeah I'm not I'm not interested, but to be fair right. I I almost kind of understand where he's coming from too if he doesn't want to learn. Well, yeah, if it's not super practical, um, yeah, I mean for for me and for but you can pick up and some I phrases think for at you, least at, at the very least. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure he knows a couple of phrases. I'm sure, but um, it's just it's just different. I think because people have different motivations and if if you don't have the motivation um especially if you know annabelle speaks really good english Mm -hmm. so it's not really like there's a need for it right right whereas you know one of my first german girlfriends she didn't speak very good english and i really wanted to learn german so it worked out really well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so so i think it depends uh and i know some other couples who the 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 one you know guy or girl really wants to learn the language but the other the other person in the relationship really wants to practice their English. Yes. So that's also kind of a catch twenty two, you know. Yes. Yeah, that happened a lot when we were in Austria, where where um, Nolan and I would find ourselves in situations where um, they're speaking English to us and we're speaking German to them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's almost like a fight. Like, no, I want to practice the language. No, I want to practice. It's like fuck right. it, we're both gonna practice today. I mean, that's what's funny is that's what I do with my I have a Czech lesson with two of the two of the teachers at my school Mm -hmm. and I speak to them in Czech and they speak to me back in English. Yeah. Uh, And and, and we make it work. But I think for some people, I think some people are are really I think they're they're so focused on being fully immersed in the language that they're like, oh, no English, no English. And, And I'm kind of like, well. Right now, my check is not good enough to the point where I could be fully immersed and actually, right. I think, be able to really, really be able to do it, you know. And I think, I mean, as far as learning Czech with English goes, this seems like the best way to do it. Because when you're having the English part of it or when you're speaking English, one, they're sometimes speaking Czech um, to try to clarify, I would assume, to maybe back mm-hmm. to each other or whatever. Yep. And, and, and two... Um, yeah, I think it just it. I don't have it too, but I think it just uh, keeps you it, it, like it keeps you immersed, even uh, if you're not fully immersed 
with the uh, right. just yeah and, and yeah, you're not even that good yet what are you gonna do like you still have to have something clarified to you or explain to you exactly so it's not exactly yeah. um Most definitely well should we uh move on to the shout outs yeah i was just about to say that i think we should nice. all right well i have i have three shout outs okay i have one um, why why would oh, you ask well, <laughs> let's let's let, let's start with you then, buddy. What's your shout out? Uh, no, you give one first. Okay, because I have only have one. My, okay, my my shout out, my first shout out is to the European Parliament. Who I don't know if you've heard about this, but they just banned single use plastics. Oh, which they're basically doing to hopefully help with the EU reduce the pollution in the ocean. Yeah. Wow. The EU or the European Parliament. Wait, um, so. What's the difference? Uh, here, it just says European Parliament. So, I'm, I'm, does I'm that mean? Really sure. <laughs> does that mean that, um, like all like Coca Colas and whatnot at at stores will be in glass bottles? Um, I well, I don't know about that because that might be ah right. Well, right here. Had I have read the article more closely, I could have answered that. So here you go. <laughs> the proposal also calls for a reduction in single use plastic. For food and drink containers, ah, okay. like plastic cups. However, it doesn't say anything about plastic bottles, but I would hmm. imagine because they recycle those, and I would say they do a fairly good job in Europe of recycling them, that they're not necessarily single-use because they are being recycled right. fairly regularly. Especially, oh, right? yeah, especially since in Europe it's common to buy liquids, especially if you have a family, or probably even if you don't. And like those uh, kind of four-containers... Um, like can't like case thingies mm -hmm. if you get the big two liter size bottles and then to get your money back you take back those whole things so uh, yeah i guess yeah they're also just better at recycling over there than we are yeah i would agree um okay shout out to uh the european parliament i'm gonna say union my uh soundboard didn't activate when i hit it that was very frustrating there we go. <laughs> Shout out to the European Parliament for. Uh, I love how you waited for that too. I, I did. Yeah. I appreciate Single use it. plastics. That's uh, right. It's a little. Would you like me to go with an? Sometimes. Yeah. Would you like me to go for another one, or would you like to give your shout out? Uh, I'll give mine. I would go like to give a shout out to the language of French, to our French aficionados, to our supporters of the French language, to our French learners. To the people that want to see French live long and prosper. Uh, okay. French is now the fifth most spoken world language, and it's growing. And mostly thanks to uh, Africa. I was just about to say to colonialism, but, you know. Yes, that's fair. Teach his own. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm speaking English right now, I guess, though. And. <laughs> Can, that's true. Wearing an American. Can I, can I just shirt. say? Can I just say I'm a little disappointed you uh, didn't also say French connoisseur. Uh, oh man, because that's a French word, right? It is. I went with aficionado, which is not a French word. Connoisseur, uh, and it's ranked behind Chinese, I believe, Mandarin and Cantonese. They probably put together. Would you say? I think Mandarin's. Uh, I think that's the official language. I don't think Mandarin okay. and Cantonese are in this. Yeah, because I don't know what they, I don't know what they always mean when they say just Chinese. Anyway, English, Spanish, right. and Arabic. There are now 300 million people on five continents who speak French, according to a recent organization, Internationale de la Francophonie. Uh, mm -hmm. Can I read something real quick? 
Absolutely. French remains the sole official language in 11 African countries and the second official language in 10. It is also the main or the only language uh, of instruction in schools in uh, a bunch of different countries like Benin, Burkina Faso. Uh, you know, uh, there's a bunch. Dem- the Democratic Republic of Congo, Cote d'Ivoire, Gambon, Guinea, Mali, Niger, Senegal, a bunch of countries. So uh, I'm gonna, I wanted to give a shout out to French for, uh, li- nice. for going strong and getting stronger. Sometimes when I do these untranslatables and I look up, um, not even, I'm not even going to say obscure languages because it's not the weirdest of languages. But even when I look up, um, like when I look up some languages, I'm like, wow, it's crazy that, um, like, like how much longer is this language going to last? This country is tiny and this is really the, like the secondary language in this country. This is not the, their main language anymore, even though a lot of people still speak it just because it's like, might not be the, the national language, but it is the language of the country. Which I think sometimes is a shame. You know, you have languages dying out because other official languages come in and over generations, they don't, they don't, you know, they aren't being passed down as much, especially if it's only a, 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 a spoken language, an oral language. Right. Um, I bet you, but yeah, but yeah, I bet you there's probably some of those fears in um, some of those African countries because oh, I'm sure those African are. countries, yeah, French is the main language, but there's also hundreds there's and thousands hundreds of, of tribal, uh, yeah, of tiny languages spoken that, but most of those people still do know French because that's just like if you if you're going to some other tribal language, it's like, well, we'll both use French then. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a, a lingua franca, and in that case, it is really French. Yeah. But English, I think, has more or less become the world's lingua franca. And I just want to add, um, all I want to say to your, my response to your uh, shout out about the French many language is, uh, is that what you it's want not to say? many freguista, <laughs> but it is uh, très bien. Oh, wow. Parada. Look at Chad. <laughs> Poly- Trying to be as cultured as I can, you know? <laughs> nice. Well, well my, my next shout out is, uh, is quite a, uh, this is going to be quite a drastic left turn. Okay. Also still, Jeez. I think, a good story. Okay. But there was this mom that had a gut feeling that stopped a school shooter before a planned attack. Have you heard about this? Off of a gut feeling? So this is what happened. I have not heard about this. So, so uh, okay. So, so this woman named, and I can't, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Coberly. It's K-O-E-B-E-R-L-E. Coberly Bull, Bull sorry, of uh, New Jersey. She woke up to a racist message on Facebook from a man in Kentucky. Um, she, she also, to clarify, she has biracial kids. She says the message was very vulgar. He dropped, you know, the, the N-word. And uh, um, so then what she did was um, he, he ended up blocking her. Um, but his profile picture had a picture of him and a gun, kind of like showing it off. And she had this gut feeling that just something bad was going to happen. And so she called the police and shout out to not only Miss um, Bull, but also the police for actually acting on it. Because I'm sure the police sometimes get a lot of these calls and they might not follow up on it, you know? Oh, yeah. And when, Especially- when police stopped him, this is the crazy thing. When police stopped him, so local and state police followed the mom's tip and they drove to the home. And this also is a 20-year-old man named Dylan. Actually, you know what? No, I'm not even going to say his name. <sighs> I'm not even going to say it. It's not worth it. He doesn't deserve the attention. Okay. But anyways, they, uh, they, they caught this 20-year-old guy just as he was leaving his house with more than 200 rounds of ammunition, a bulletproof vest, 
a firearm, a hundred round high capacity magazine. And this is the, the creepiest thing is a detailed plan of attack. He was headed toward two school districts. Um, and so, so, uh, the, one of the police, the police commissioner, uh, named Rick Sanders said, there's no doubt in my mind as a result of, um, you know, arresting this guy in this investigation, we saved lives. So shout out to the mom for acting on her gut feeling and also shout out to the police officers for actually doing something. Right. Because, uh, um, unfortunately the number of, um, like death threats and threats and racial threats and sexist and homophobic threats get thrown around on the internet regularly. So it is, it is one tough to just have that intuition and actually act on it as the, uh, as the woman. And then it is tough for the police to actually decide that this is something serious because this is what just happens on the internet in 2018, unfortunately, where it's like, yeah, I mean, if we actually reacted to every, like it's impossible for us to react to every death threat that's happening. Um, which is also, you know, why it's, you know, shout out to her for actually saying something and being like, no, you know, this is, this is serious. Um, and fuck that guy. Uh, also, (laughs) Mm -hmm. did you hear? Um, yeah. Now, this is uh, unrelated, but not unrelated, but breaking news kind of to once again, breaking the fourth wall, uh, our lives, because it's not breaking news to anyone that's listening to this. But um, there was a uh, there was a threat. Uh, there was a bomb sent to um, the Hillary Clinton's, Clinton's Obama. house, house yeah. Obama's house and the CN- CNN headquarters. And uh, and uh, some s- somehow I don't I didn't read the full story yet, but it was intercepted somehow. And through, uh, I know at least through the through the Clintons and I think the Obamas, it was through Secret Service. And I believe actually I believe CNN was through. I believe they have a standard um, mail processing system at CNN that goes that mm-hmm. goes through uh, and checks mail. Right. <clears throat> yeah, we live in a crazy world. I'm just so glad that we didn't wake up hearing about another school shooting. Oh, I know. I know. I know. And it's it's. It's hard to even have like reactions to it anymore, and I, I hate to say that, but it, it's yeah. it's hard because it's like oh, you're, it's, you're right. It's it's because it, it's more at this feeling where it's like, well, I mean, it was just a matter of time, really. <laughs> it's like it was yeah. going to happen sooner or later. So exactly. <clears throat> well, my last shout out goes to a gentleman named Ben Williams, who is a, a guy who lives in uh, Montreal, and he uh, gives away heaps of farm fresh veggies every week for free he wants to promote a genuine culture of as he says it sharing and caring or a shareocracy um, which i think is really awesome um so what this guy so let me give you a little background of of this guy's story so um basically what what he does is he um a lot of people like are, are trying to think of like how how can you even do this and so basically that what he does is he, question. yeah. And so he, he basically works, I believe in, at a farm and because he works there, he basically lives there rent free. And I don't know if, the, I think basically his salary is like the vegetables, excuse me, the vegetables they give him, mm. which, you know, he's a vegetarian and, and he, you know, is able to eat what, what they give him, but he has a lot of leftovers and right. so and a he lot, takes this and shares this. And mm-hmm. a lot in, I assume he works on a big farm, a relatively big farm to be able to do mm-hmm. this. And a lot of leftovers in, in, in the sense of what he gives out is almost mm-hmm. nothing in comparison to what I assume this actual farm is, uh, you know, sending out and shipping 
and selling. Right. So it's like, yeah, you can get leftovers, and it seems like you're giving out a bunch because you are. But uh, you know, in comparison to you know, it doesn't. It's it's you know, uh, uh, negligible on the spreadsheet. I bet for the farm. So that's great that he actually. I'm sure. I, I bet you there there's a lot of that stuff that just goes to waste, because oh, it is because it is negligible. Sure. Yeah, we we have a lot of food that that we waste. Um, right here, here's here's a better detail of it. So so basically, um um. Williams um, launched his project, which was taking up rent-free residence on a farm about an hour outside of the city of Montreal and asking for vegetables in place of a salary. So as I mentioned, he's a vegetarian. He has all the food he needs, Mm -hmm. but he hauled the rest into town and put the produce out on display in a park uh, in the southwest borough near the corner of Pitt and St. Patrick Street. He was there until the end of October, giving everything away for free. This year, however... 2018, he realized he could get more vegetables with a salary of about $400 a week. So he saved his pay during the weeks leading up to the first harvest of the season. And by mid-July, he was buying $500 a week in vegetables to give away, parking himself under the same street on the canal's bike path every week. Um, so, Wait, yeah. So, so Oh, so yeah. he supplemented what he takes from the... Um from the farm with the $500 of stuff he bought? Is that what you said? I bl- I th- I think that's what he gives away, but I I could be and wrong. So in addition to the stuff that he's still getting for free, he's right. adding to it the five hundred dollars mm-hmm. of stuff he bought. Mm-hmm. I bet you yeah. there's a way somewhere in there to make money off of this, but still do a good thing. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I just think it's great that it is. I'm just a uh, a dirty American, and I'm like, let's figure out how we can make money off of this. <laughs> good, good old good old capitalism <laughs> sneaking back in there. No, what's really way cool though, make money off is of he's actually. Right. What's really cool, though, is he's actually taking his concept on the road in 2019. He will be doing couch surfing and working on farms until he Shout finds a new, right? Um, until he finds a new place to settle. Okay. So he, I, I like the fact though he's promoting a culture of sharing. Yeah. Because I think in our lifetimes, you, to all our listeners out there, you heard it here first. In our lifetime, we're going to need to be able to share with people. Because we're not going to have enough resources. And speaking of dirty American, uh, that is another thing that we ha- we have a weird pride of like, this is mine. I earned it. Get your mm-hmm. own. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, I worked hard. Why don't you work hard? And it's like, yeah, we can't. That mentality is, uh, is not sustainable. Not at all. Well, speaking of sharing uh, on our last episode, you had the good fortune of getting some tasty beers. Well, what I would assume will be tasty beers. I guess we'll see. Um, <laughs> shared to you by uh, our good friend Nolan. Yeah, shout so out I to think Nolan, it's time by that, the way. Uh, I guess that's a great... Also, shout out to Nolan for uh, hooking me up with those free beers. Uh, so, yeah. Um, he, Nolan gave me uh, free beers. It was a variety. I believe there are about... Let me, let's see. I actually have a picture of them, so I can tell you the exact number. There are about, there are exactly one, two, three, four, five different, uh, different brews of beer I have, all coming from Tonewood Brewery. And um, the first one I'm going to start with is, uh, and so what we're going to do is, all we're going to do is just a beer review. I have them, and I'm like, oh, why not? These seem like, a, it's a microbrew, so it's a, you know, a fancy, and it's, and so I was like, oh, I'll review these things, and it'll be a fun little segment. So we'll do this, I guess, for the next five episodes, because then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have any more new beers to try. And so the right. first one I decided to start with, 
Um, it's called um, the Tonewood Brewery. Uh, well, let me actually start by saying Tonewood is a brewery in uh, Oakland or Oakline, O-A-K-L-Y-N. So I don't know if that's Lynn or Line. It could be either, I guess. Right. Oakland, New Jersey. And um, they're a small little outfit looking to grow. And, uh, you know, I, I figured it couldn't hurt to give them the old untranslatable uh, bump and seal of approval because that'll take you a long way. Hey, uh, Tonewood, this is for you. Oh, yeah. See, that's a high honor right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so um, the first beer is called the um, Tonewood Freshies. And it's uh, an American pale ale. I'm going to pull it out of my cooler right now. Which is really nice. just a pot that I've put ice into with the beer sitting in it. Gotta keep your beers cold. Uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. So uh, I'll show it to you, Chad. This is the... Uh, oh, nice. Okay. I like the hops on the can. Yeah. And it, can, you, can, you snap, can you snap a pick of that? Of course. Uh, I are, yes, of course. Uh, I will, uh, you know, all of you go to our Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast. And uh, you'll see a picture of me taste testing the uh, tone wood. And so um, what I like about it before I even pop it open is that it has this, um, which I believe is probably a low, uh, like a uh, low production quality thing, but just because uh, it costs more to have like a fully flush logo. But the logo is almost clearly a sticker that's been stick stuck on. And so you, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. It, so the can itself is just a silver can, and then like there's this uh, there's a sticker that essentially is the logo, and it wraps around from you know the full top to the bottom, and it's not a sticker you can pull off, but um I it, it's it's I believe it's just I, I, if you could pay more you would actually have the can painted or like however they do it I don't think it's paint, like have the logo and like lasered onto it. But it, I do like that uh, sort of aesthetic. That's the word, aesthetic. And so I'm going to uh, first give it the three taps because uh, we, we're not trying to have any explosions here. And That's did fair. I mention it's an American pale ale? I, I believe you did. Could you, could you describe what an American pale ale is to our listeners, though, especially the <laughs> ones we have in Germany and, and Czech Republic and well, I'll tell you um, what uh, Oman. Now, since you've asked, I'll tell you what uh, Wikipedia says an American Pale Ale is. Because I have, like, I can always kind of know what it is by the, like, when I know what I'm getting when I order it, but I don't really know what it is specifically. American Pale Ales are generally around 5% alcohol by volume. Interesting, because this one is exactly 5%. Um, Tried and true. And um, with significant quantities of American hops, typically Cascade. Although American brewed beers tend to use a cleaner yeast in American two-row malt, it is particularly the American hops that distinguishes an APA, American Pale Ale, from British or European Pale Ales. So it's just the various American-specific hops that they use. And I would also imagine Indian Pale Ale as well, right? Uh, what is an Indian Pale Ale? IPA? No, I know what it is, but um, the style is close to the American Indian Pale India Pale Ale. Okay, so they're similar. Mm -hmm. Because the uh, Indian pale ale, it's not from India, is it? Well, I'll read it to you. The term pale ale, well, see, uh, India. Oh, it's India pale ale? I always thought it was Indian pale ale. No, India pale ale. Interesting. It? I've, yeah, it's India. I've been saying that wrong mm -hmm. my entire life, and I'm about to give a beer 
review like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> India Pale Ale Lager is a hoppy style or hoppy beer style inspired by India Pale Ale. Oh, but unlike IPAs, IPA, all right, whatever. So back to the Tonewood, which is an American pale ale. 5%, as I mentioned, now this is a 12 ounce, or for our European listeners, 355 milliliter can of beer. And um, I guess I'm just going to give it a taste. Uh, I'm also going to take a picture of it for, for, uh, so everyone could see. Oh, this is so tough. This is so tough. Here we go. You can do it. You got me jealous. I wanna, I wanna try one of those babies too. Ooh, is it good? Is it crisp? Oh, these these pictures are hilarious. By the way, I look like an idiot. Let me try this again. Um, this is hard. I feel I like that's, I feel like that's me. Anytime I take a selfie, <laughs> I look like an idiot. But that's just me. I think I missed the the selfie, the selfie culture by like five, six years maybe. Ah, that's good. All right. So I'll say this. What I like about this beer, very smooth. This feels like a beer that you could drink, say, if it was like a, um, if you're on a boat. Ooh, very, it's on like a hot summer day. Very light, but it's uh-huh. very flavorful. There's a lot, I'd say it's got like a, um, not a heavy, but kind of undertones of a fruity taste to it. And very smooth. Like it almost tastes, um, like I can't, I can't make it clear that it, how smooth it is. It, it it almost is smooth in a sense that it has a quality not smooth like like it still tastes like beer let me clarify mm-hmm. but it goes down let me take another sip real quick most definitely yeah i like that i like that that's good um it's definitely it's definitely um not great for for as i mentioned the fact that it's currently going, you know, this transition into fall, like it's not mm-hmm. a good, tra- you wouldn't put this on Instagram and be like, fall's coming. You know what that means? Time for the Tonewood Freshies. And it's so like, what, what beer would you associate with fall? Something darker. Okay. Uh, you know, some sort of dark beer. For example, I went to um, the bar. I went to the barcade yesterday, actually, with one of my friends. And um, I got a Bell's Brown uh, Ale. The, oh, those are good. I never really get those, but uh, she just pointed to it. She's like, um, it says uh, there's bis- biscuit flavors in here. And, and, and she's like, do you think that's actually the uh, case? And I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll get it and we'll find out. And I got Ooh. it. And I was like, I mean, if they didn't put that on there, I wouldn't, wouldn't cross my mind. But I kind of get where they're coming from. I kind of understand fair. it. <laughs> See, then I wonder if it's like kind of the, I don't know if that's a chicken or the egg scenario, but like what when... You, you you are conditioned to think that I guess it's not chicken or the egg at all, but like you're conditioned <laughs> to think that because they say that. Whereas like, what if they said like I don't know, it had like a like a hazelnut aftertaste or something, and then you tried it and you're like, oh yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Right. So let me read to you how um, I, I didn't even notice this, but on the side of the Tonewood Freshies uh, can is an explanation of their beer. Oh and they, sweet. And they say uh, of this beer specifically. A soft and crushable pale ale brewed with wheat and massively dried, uh, dry hopped with Simico, Amarilla, and Cascade hops. Oh, that's what the Wikipedia said, usually with Cascade hops. There we go. Uh, some freshies await you in this can. There you go. 
do you do you think the uh, the beer does the name justice? Yes, yes, because as I said, it's it's a it's a very summery beer. Like it's a beer that you can drink and still feel refreshed, like in the sun, and not feel like you're wearing yourself out with booze or with something too heavy. So mm-hmm. yes, I'd say that that is it's it 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 suits the name very well. It's nice. very refreshing. That's awesome. You know what's interesting? So you mentioned, you know, maybe some darker beers for the fall. In the in the Czech Republic, dark beers for one, they're actually kind of sweet. Interesting. I've never really like yeah, a porter, but porters aren't really sweet. It's not like a porter. It's it's not like any Well, I had a I had like a vanilla Java porter one time at a brewery and that was a little sweet but these here in the Czech Republic they have like a sweet aftertaste and actually like for some reason like I've I've talked to a couple like people here in the Czech Republic who who are you know from from the country mm-hmm. and they and they say that dark women uh, dark women dark beer <laughs> is for women that's quite the slip right there um right. <laughs> dark beer dark beer is for women that's is what they say because it's sweet which I consider that in itself an untranslatable because in America, it's the complete opposite. It's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think it's as big of a deal, but there's definitely a, um, definitely a stereotype that like, uh, you know, if you get like some sort of uh, light beer. Like a stout. Oh, so you're going the other way. I got Oh you. yeah. I'm saying what the woman's beer would be. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's only 4% and it's low on calories. Cause uh, you know, something like that, some stupid, uh. Someone right. that's uncomfortable with themselves, so they need to prove their manliness through uh, their alcoholism. Right, exactly. Uh, for example, exactly. by the way, I always, I, I never really understand this. Uh, this is a total direct question, but this just crossed my mind. So, you know, I'm young. I'm in the scene. I've, I've seen a dating app here or there. Every now and again, you stumble, I'll stumble upon some, you, I'll stumble upon someone that um, almost brags about their ability to drink and like, I can out drink you. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't, is that a, is that a, a quality? Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Right. It's like, does, I, like I, that's fine. I, I, I'll let you have that one. I never understand right. why that's like something to uh, brag about. I haven't, I haven't gotten it either, but you know, to each his own, I guess. Yeah. 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 This is something random. So speaking of uh, which to close out my uh, first beer review, one of, so one down four to go, but to, you know, drink responsibly. <laughs> There you go. That's true. It doesn't have to be a uh, competition. You know, what's interesting, though, is I feel like drinking responsibly has different cultural meanings in different places. And uh, sometimes drinking responsibly can be slightly untranslatable because here in the Czech Republic, I was asking my students, you know, how, how many liters of beer is normal or okay? And I've had students going anywhere from three liters to five liters. And five liters here would be 10 beers. Right. And I feel like most Americans would say that's pretty damn irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. But there's also like in Australia, they talk about how um, I believe at like a racing event, they just recently limited the number of beers you can bring into the games or because uh, to control people. But they limited mm-hmm. to like. Some crazy like sixty beers a day or something like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like it's still, I would be dead. Like, like you hear that number and it's like that's still enough to get most people hammered, right? And you know people right. are like mad. I'm sorry, I, you're looking at my, the back of my phone because I still want to fix this picture I'm looking at and I look like an idiot. I almost my, <laughs> 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 gotta get that selfie game up, Jared. 
I'll talk to some of my students and they get their advice because they're all on Instagram. Their their selfie game is uh, on point or on fleek if people still say that. It's I don't good. Know if it's people just, even say I also that. I like I don't like seeing the corner of my eye staring to make sure I get it right. You just gotta. It's like that band photo where that one guy's just oh, staring terrible. off. Oh, that'll do. That'll do. Whatever. There you go. Whatever. Nice. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> You're good. So you, yeah, do you happen to do you happen to have the time? I saw your fancy untranslatable Rolex on that wrist. Oh yeah, and, uh, I got it all nice and tuned up. So uh, well, it's odd, you know, you're a little early, but the uh, oh, the Rolex is never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jared. Well, I want to start us off with a Japanese one. Okay. So it is ukiyo-e, which literally means floating world. Floating world. I don't know. I feel like that one's not a direct translate. Like that one's not an easy one to get. So, so I'll I'll give you an example, Jared. Walking on sunshine so is that what it means? Nope, nope. I'll give you an example. So, um, ukiyo-e is like you're on that boat enjoying your freshie, just kind of taking it all in, and you're just ukiyo-e. Oh, okay, so it's like content. It's like living life. I would say living in the moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's really, yeah, this, when I drink a freshie, I do feel like I should be on like a pontoon on some, on one of my friend's lakes in their backyard, just sitting there with my sunglasses on. Although someone recently stole my sunglasses. Right. Uh, shirt off. This, this beer makes me want to take my shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) They should put that on the can. This beer makes me want to take my shirt off. I feel like that could also lead to lawsuits. If taken the wrong way. That's true. Um, all right. Well, that's I like that one. Ikiyoe. Is that what you said? I, I think so. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Okay. All of mine are Croatian. Oh, sweet. All right. Um, and Shout out to the Slavic language family. Yeah. I'll start with stara koka dobra juha. Juha. Dobra is good. Yes. But other than that, you tell me. Kokka, I feel like you might know if you actually, uh, if once you hear it. Uh, old hen, good soup. Kokka is hen. Okay. Old hen, good soup. Can you give me an example? Uh, or will it give it away? Well, it will. But if you don't know, then I'll give you an example. Well, well, let me let me let me take a stab at it. Old hen, good soup. So is this like, is this kind of like aging like a fine wine? Oh, yeah. All right, finally. Yeah, it's what how they word it is. I actually prefer how you word it than they word it. But how they word it is, an older woman might have more appeal, but I prefer aging like fine wine. Okay. Because <laughs> that's that's what that's the American untranslatable. Right, which is such a great phrase. Yeah, old hen is not. No one wants to be called an old hen. Like I love how there's this compliment starts by calling someone an old hen, but in America, right. saying old hen is just a straight up insult. You old hen. I, I would agree, but if you say you're aging like a fine wine, yeah, that's how you like, get yourself ooh. a cougar. Well, yeah, you've gone from freshy to fine wine. <laughs> right. Uh, All right. Uh, so my next one for you is Czech. Okay. And it is. Um, Ketsash krav, uh, sorry, ketsash uh, kravini, which mean literally means cow talk. Cow talk. Does it mean like small talk or like you're yammering? Nope. Uh, 
Gossip? Also, not quite, no. Okay. I would say like... Rumors, spreading rumors? Um, also, not really. Uh, I would say... I would say um, Ketsash Kravini is more like... Um, I'm trying to give you an example before I just give it to you. Um, you know, say, 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 so I go, I go, I go to class. I, uh, uh, I ask my students to hand in their homework and a student comes up to me and says, you know, teacher, you know, uh, I, I went to go leave this morning and my homework was sitting on my desk. I hadn't finished it yet. And I was, I woke up late. I had to run to the bus to get here. And I say, you know what? Stop with your, um, um, Ketsash Kravini. Uh, excuses? I would say more more blunt, stop with your bullshit. Okay. Like All bullshitting. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That one, uh, hey, that could get some use out of it. You might, oh, yeah. you could have saved that one for the word of the pod. You know. Uh, oh, shit, you're right. That's true. <laughs> I've talked about how these students are kind of like my family. Well, you know what? They can all go fuck themselves. <laughs> 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 I changed my mind. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I got another one for you, and this one, uh, well, all right. Let me start with this one. I'll do it easy. I'll, I've I've one that has a little bit of a story to it, but I'll do a quicker one first. Uh, Zudi Pol- uh, Polako, which once again what is language? Croatian. Oh, this is Croatian, right? Croatian Zudi Polako, which I believe you know what Zudi means, don't you? Mm-mm. Okay, well, it means hurry slowly. Okay. Hurry slowly. Hurry slowly. Um, I I don't even know. More speed, less haste. So it's like ah. work quickly, but don't work sloppily. Essentially. I see. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like if like work quickly, but also pay attention to what you're doing. That's what they're getting at. I like that one. That's a good Me one. Me too. Me too. Hurry what was slowly. it again? Hurry Zuri, slowly. Zuri Polako. Hurry slowly. Mm-hmm. Okay, my last one for you is also Czech. And it is, one moment here. Zbalitsi svich piet švestek, which means wow. pack up your five plums. Does that mean like scram? Get to stepping? Get to ham horn in that bad boy because you are right. <laughs> That's right. So, Jared, you just have to say, Spalitsi svich piet švestek. Okay. By the time I'd say that, they'd be like halfway down the street already. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've left. You, you. If, if it was a Czech person, though, they, <laughs> trust me, they talk really fast. They'd yeah, get that's out true. like that. That's true. Uh, all right. My final one's also Croatian. And it's uh, Nekavisi Petro. Which means? Nekavisi Petro means let pedro be hung oh geez poor pedro what did pedro do i know i know i'm not sure what pedro did but do you have any guesses on what that means um let pedro be hung um uh, nope i got i got nothing well uh it means for uh pedro's escape but goat so it refers to letting someone uh finding a scapegoat and making pedro the scapegoat Gotcha. It comes from okay. uh, a hit song from back in the day. See, I wish I would have looked up when the song uh, came out, but um, it came, like it's a, a po- apparently a, a, a popular. Uh, now I'm typing it and t- and and uh, 
and talking, which is never good. It's apparently a popular song, and um, it's like I I assume you call it a uh, a folk song. Okay. And oh, it came out in 1970. And I have just a line of it that I recorded that I just just to give you a what a little clip of what it would sound like. If you Mm -hmm. want to hear, well, you I'm gonna play it regardless of whether you want to hear or not. I don't know how loud this is gonna be, so brace yourself. So yeah, hmm, that's the song. And I don't know if it's offensive or not, but uh, in the music video, at least the one I saw, they were like all surrounded around someone that was being hung or hanged. Oh, I guess God. you would say. And they're like, "Well, we had to. Someone had to be the uh, scapegoat." Damn. But uh, yeah, so um, I just thought that was that they had a fun little uh, fun little story, and the song was it, catchy too. Interesting. Well, to all to all of our listeners named Pedro out there, don't go to Croatia anytime soon. No. No, they're gonna they're gonna blame you for everything. Call me red handed. <laughs> Googled who's that? Shaggy. Uh, yes. Nice. Oh, by the way, the hit was by a ba- a band called um, Zagreb Beat Combo Quartet 4M. Okay, so, I'm assuming know. Zagreb has to do with the city. Probably uh, a qu- quartet yeah. is probably quartet, and 4M okay. probably means four males. Could be. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> Just throwing some any, stuff out there. Any, Anyways, Jared, uh, we are here recording, um, talking about teaching languages to different ages and yes. uh, coming at all of our listeners with another teacher's edition. And um, we, have an, uh, we have an expert at the house, everyone. That, well, get, get in there, I would say, <laughs> slowly but surely. I, let, me, let me just break down, I guess, my teaching experience for our listeners out there so... So they don't think I am giving them all sorts of cow talk. Um, see what I did there? I do. But uh, yeah, so I have taught. Thank you. I uh, get that extra untranslatable. Sneak it in there. In there. Uh, I have taught everywhere from children from the ages of six to 12. I've taught teenagers German. I've taught college students. And I've also taught adults aged 30 to 60. Okay, that's a so great I, range. Yeah, so I, I would I would like to think that I've had experience teaching almost every age under the sun. Almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, so do you, have you noticed, do, do, could you think you, you, you speak on, I mean, it's hard too because you've taught different languages in different levels, but I wish if, I wish or wonder if there's a general way you could speak on who you thought was the most receptive to it. And I know that's a broad generalization, but I'm curious what you well, thought. Well, I, I think I think each age group, children, teens, and adults, let me break it down even further, children's, teens, college students, and then adults as in like 30 plus, mm-hmm. they're all receptive to different things. And I think whenever you become a teacher, especially a language teacher, it's critical and crucial to be aware of the things they're receptive to. So for example, when I teach children, I teach little to no grammar because kids don't care. Kids don't have that, what we call meta language that like the, the, the knowledge of the abstract words and concepts we use to talk about language. Mm-hmm. Right. I imagine I it's stu- also too slow. Like you'll bore them. Right. And, and the thing is, is if you think about how children learn their first language, it's not like mommy and daddy Taking are reading notes. them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. They're not reading them a grammar book. Okay. And here's the subjunctive, you know, yeah, that's what's the participle. 
Right. You love your participles. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, exactly. So, so that just doesn't work for children. Mm-hmm. But I find that a lot of adults, because they already know about language, they want that grammar explanation. Right. Makes sense. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which I am still of the uh, philosophy or of the school that to speak a language proficiently, you don't necessarily need a ton of grammar instruction. Right. Um, with that with that being said, what to you need to speak properly and what you what your students want to know are also two different things. But you're not going off of what your students want to know. You're going off of what you're supposed to be teaching. Well, when I taught my adults, I, I was fortunate I had a lot of free range with my teaching. There was no okay. textbook. So I had when you teach without a textbook, it's terrifying and liberating exactly at the same time (laughs) because when you have a textbook you always have something to fall back on but the negative thing about textbooks is a lot of them are not always designed with like communication in mind some of them can be really outdated they don't have good examples right um you know so so, yeah there's i'm sure it it gives you a kind of a a safe structure an easy structure Mm -hmm. but then also i'm sure there's a lot of times where you're reading something as the teacher and then you're having to contradict what the book is saying where it's like, well, I don't, I wouldn't really say it this way. I imagine then like getting rid of the textbook is almost like that scene in free Willy where he's standing on the rock and the orca jumps over him. He's like, hold me like the river. (laughs) And you just like flow arms out. Like I'm free. I I feel like that's pretty accurate. Never felt so alive in my life to actually teach. But then, but then other moments you feel like you should be balled up in the fetal position. Right. Then the orca lands on you. Ex- exactly. Ex- that's a great. That's a great uh, analogy. Absolutely. Yeah. And and but I also try not to. It's funny. So I would actually prefer to use textbooks, maybe more so with maybe older teens, college students, maybe adults, maybe, um, but not with children. I think mm-hmm. children, the whole the whole reason why I love teaching children language is because you can just have fun with them for an hour. You play games. I actually taught a children's class today. My students are, my youngest student is six years old. My oldest student is 13. So it's, it's also a little difficult finding the appropriate materials that will appeal to all of my students. But um, I can tell you, uh, we went over farm animals and, uh, and my students, we, we had a blast. Uh, we... We were playing hangman and I thought I was going to do like one word and I got done with the one word and everyone was like again, again. And so we played again and you know, with children, I think it's important. You, you play games with them. You use the language in a way that, you know, their parents and their, their regular teachers would use with them. Right. Yes. For, and from what I've heard, uh, I'm going to bring some science into this. Perfect. According to a study from 1996, the dude's name was, or woman, I guess, to be fair. That was very sexist of me. It's Kotulak. I don't know. It's just, I don't know who that is, but just making sure that if you want to check me, check me. Anyway, from what I, from uh, at the age of 12, prior to that age, the brain has been a sponge. It is during this period that the foundation for thinking, language, vision, attitudes, aptitudes, and other characteristics are laid down. After this stage of, of development, the window closes. Uh, the fundamental architecture of the brain is complete. So the reason I wanted to read that is because what that made me think is that it really doesn't seem useful to really start hammering uh, grammar in until after 12. Because one, 
Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe a little earlier, but that's but that's what it seems like. Science, like according to when your brain develops, would be, make the most sense, because before that, your brain is in its most sponge-like ability to uh, to just take in any anything that you're immersed to. That's why I think immersion is key at that age. But then mm-hmm. once you hit 12, 13, and you know older, that's when you can actually start putting together. Your brain starts to have the ability to put together the more complex concepts, which is essentially what the grammar is. And then maybe, you know, so what I get from that is like, it's not even really useful to try to explain that stuff before 12 because their brain's not even fully, like you're almost wasting that time where you, all you have to do is be speaking and immersing and, immer- and you know, immersing them into the language. And they're going to, like a lot of that's just going to stick just because their brain's just taking everything in at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm always really amazed by how quickly my students will we'll get things like my, my child, the, the kids I've been teaching because we'll, we'll do an activity and, and I don't know if it's just they're very bright children or if I, you know, I'd like to toot my own horn and say it's my teaching, but, but, <laughs> but I really think that's probably not it. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that the, the kids, it's really amazing, but I think a, another aspect that separates children from teens, college students and adults is they're not afraid to just try and they don't really care if they make mistakes. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's no, they don't have that. That shame is not built up yet. Right. Uh, there's no, no reason for embarrassment. And, um, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, even still to this day, I, um, I have some embarrassment speaking German. Uh, I mean, I'll do it only because it's worse to speak English, especially if I know what they're saying. But like there is a little bit like uh, I don't want to fuck this up and embarrass myself in front of these uh, these Germans. But it's like, well, just you don't have to fool them into thinking you're not German. That's not the point of this. I think right. they just appreciate the fact that you, they understand what you're saying. As if, I, I would be willing to even say that you just trying to communicate with them in their language is arguing impre- that will impress them so much more than if you even were to butcher some sentences or make a lot of mistakes. And what I always go back to is whenever I've talked to any non-American in English and no matter what the like no matter what their proficiency of English is, they you know most of them have some sort of foreign accent that's foreign to me. And um, if I hear them make a mistake or if, or if I notice their accent, I'm not like uh, oh my gosh, you know, because I, I I think that's what it's hard to remind yourself as a native English speaker speaking other languages, it's like them hearing your American accent is like you hearing some French person speak English perfectly for maybe, but mm-hmm. with an accent. And also I, I think there's a special place in hell for people who make fun of people who are trying to speak another language and yeah, they don't ridiculous. speak it perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they don't speak it perfectly. It's like, it's like, okay, you know, it's like, okay, Steve, like you who only right. speaks English and, you know, this person over here maybe speaks two or three or maybe more languages and they're trying to learn English so they can talk to you. Um, and to yeah. be fair, we are you and I uh, and most of our listeners are hyper aware of that because a lot of us have been in situations where um, we're outside of our, our language element, where, where the people that usually have that sort of uh, mentality that you mentioned probably have never even really challenged themselves in, in that way. Right. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Could I uh, could I give a few tips to our listeners out there who are who are teachers if they are embarking on uh, teaching children? Please, please. So my my first tip is, um, and I mean I think this tip is applicable for a lot of ages, 
but to just keep it fun. When you're with kids, I think it's important to be flexible. And if you plan something and you realize it's kind of, it's, it's flopping, I always have a couple extra bags of tricks up my sleeve um, in terms of games and other fun things to do. Um, today, we also talked about colors and I placed, uh, my colleague actually gave me this great idea. She, she was telling me that you, you put all sorts of different colored things around the classroom and you basically say, okay, find something that is yellow. And the students all have to run and, and like, gr- you know, grab whatever they see that's yellow. Okay. And it gets the kids moving around. So yeah. any activities you have that are fun. And you can make a game moving. out of it because it's like whoever finds, you know, something yellow first or whatever. Exactly. Is exactly. the smartest one here. <laughs> but, but so what I try to do, because I have such different age groups, I try to have... Basically, I, I try not to make it too competitive in terms of winners and losers because I think it'd be very unfair to like the six and seven year olds when you have like a 12 or a 13 year old in the same class. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're bigger than you. They're faster than you. They've had English, you know, language classes before. Um, but I think also if you are teaching the same ages, you can definitely do some competitions like that. And kids love that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. My, my second tip um, that also goes along with keeping things light and keeping things fun is I use music in almost every lesson I have with children because music kids, I mean, who, one, who doesn't love music Two, there's a lot of language and culture that goes on within music that you can teach kids. Like today I said, we, we discussed colors. We also, we also discussed farm animals. Okay. And guess what song we listened to, Jared? Um, not old McDonald. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> we did. And what, and there were two things that happened that I loved. One of them, I asked them after we listened to it, I said, okay, what sound does a, you know, what sound does a turkey make? What sound does a duck make? And what's interesting is animal noises in the Czech Republic or in Europe are slightly different than animal noises yeah. in America. Oh, yes. That would be a fun episode. Yeah. They're different everywhere. Yeah, which is really funny, though, because it's not like these animals speak a different language. Right, um, we're all listening to the same animals. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, so that was cool. And the other thing I loved was my younger students, they were actually, like, mouthing the words along with the song, and they were kind of, like, moving back and forth with it. Um, so so I just love the fact that when you find music that you're, 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 the, the kids in your class enjoy – uh, it, it just makes it all worthwhile. You know, right. seeing and that smile on their face, they're engaging with the language, they're having oh. fun. And then when you have something like a song that you see them bobbing their head along to, that also would mean that oh, like oh, maybe there's a chance that they'll listen to this on their own time, and you know, cause mm-hmm. just because they like the artist or like the song. And right. it's like, so I'm also going to give them something that they might actually potentially listen to, not. Um, you know, something that would completely bore them or something like that. For example, I don't know if that song could ever, ever bore anybody. That's just a great, great tune. Yeah. But uh, my, my other tip would be, so I guess just to recap, one, keep it light and fun. Two, use music. Three, I would also say um, you need to communicate with them in a very clear way. There are certain words and phrases I try to avoid with children because it's not important. They'll learn those words as they take more English classes through school and things like that. Could you think of an example? I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, I'm, I'm just like thinking of like really formal words and phrases. Like I usually don't say like, could you blah, blah, blah. I'll just directly say, you know, 
you know, do this, do that. You know, when we were playing the colors game, I could have said, you know, could you or can you find a color that's yellow, right? I would just say find yellow. I forgot also that, like, things like coulda, shoulda, woulda um, are actually kind of complex sentences. Because mm-hmm. I remember learning like all the different forms of Vorda, uh, Vera, and all that stuff in German, and that stuff was mm-hmm. annoying as shit to learn, because there's so many different variations on how that could work. And uh, I, you know, I didn't even you don't even think about it in your own language. You're like, oh yeah, I guess that that's uh, if it's as I mean our language, especially with German, they're kind of similarly based. So if it was just as complex in English or right. in German, it might be in English as well. I would, I would also say, too, if there's certain language you want your students to be able to use, like maybe if they're kids, but you're trying to teach them how to like order something very politely at a restaurant, I would teach them specific phrases like I would like, yeah, but I wouldn't go into detail of explaining why it is what it is. Most kids don't care. You can just give them the phrase, you know, model it as in, you know, you say it and show them how to say it. And that's, that's really all you need to do. I have two ger- perfect German examples for that. Ich möchte gerne and ich hätte gerne. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Those two things I learned, I think, way before I fully knew how to use hätte and, and, uh, and möchte properly. But it's mm-hmm. like, that's just how you say I would like. That's the phrase for yep. I would like. Then after exactly. that, you say what it is you would like. Exactly. And, and my last tip for um, teaching children is... Um, to really involve them in in everything you do. When I give examples, I always will pick out different students. And, and like today when we were doing colors, I made a point for to go around the classroom and every student, we talked about the colors that they were wearing that day. Because I think children, especially, especially young children, you know, you're as a teacher, you may not be intentionally leaving a child out. You just, you know, especially if you have a big class, right. you can't always get to everyone. But I would try, even if you have a big class, to include the children in in everything you do, whether it's praising them, using them as an example, things like that. I think it's very important. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, the, the, a lot of interactions good for the children, keeping them involved, making sure you're not – even though you might not even notice, it's I'm sure very easy to uh, real not even notice that you haven't called on or talked to one student for like a couple you know classes if you don't if you don't mm-hmm. pay close enough attention. Mm-hmm. So you talked a lot about the kids. I want to know what are some things you like about teaching those that smell of soil. Oh, I okay, good. <laughs> um, I was I was at first at first oh, I wasn't sure what you're talking about, and then I remember. Yeah, um, that's untranslatable, yeah. everyone. You know it that is. though, because you listened to the last episode, right? Wait, um, was it two episodes ago? It was last. I think it was last episode. Okay. Pretty sure it was. I can't. I can't um, I, I edit. It's hard. It's hard to. to it's hard to keep them all straight. I always have episodes going through my head. Right. But anyways, um, sorry. What was your question? What What are some things you like about teaching those the older people? Or so wh- probably are, probably wait. my favorite thing about teaching adults, you know, thirty and up is you can really talk about small, minute details of language that sometimes aren't super important in terms of communication, but your students will want to know these things. And it could bring up a, uh interesting conversation. Like Absolutely. I, I think from that, uh, I've noticed that in piano lessons from time to time, if you ask a question that has to do with the piece, but it's kind of unrelated, 
Uh, it usually uh, sparks a, an interesting conversation. For example, I have piano lessons later today, and there's this song that I have, and whenever I have to do like composing stuff, my piano teacher always says, like, that's parallel uh, motion, which apparently mm -hmm. you can't do. Do you know what parallel motion is? And I never really understand why I can't do it. But anyway, uh, in my lesson book, uh, there's kind of this piece. It's a lesson book thing that you learn in a week or whatever that I'm working on. And uh, there's a b bit of thing in it that I was like, I believe this is parallel motion. And I want to ask to know if these, if these people did something that you're technically not supposed to do, which has nothing to do with the point of the piece. But she likes that stuff, too. Teachers like that stuff because it oh, shows that sure. you're, paying, you're actually paying attention. Right. I, I would agree with you. And that, that brings me to like the next thing I wanted to say was just with adults, you definitely will have really interesting conversations. And especially, you know, me only being 27 years old, you know, I had a student that was in his 60s and he would tell me cool stuff about like he had visited Germany in like the 70s and the 80s. Right. And, like could tell me a lot of cool stuff that I didn't even know about. Yeah. So there's a lot you can learn. Exactly. The, uh, you can learn a lot as a teacher when you're teaching older people. Um, which is really nice. And, and the other thing that I really enjoy with, um, older people is, it, well, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword. They, they want, to, a lot of them want to be perfect, which is great because they strive, they have high expectations, which is good, mm -hmm. but it's also bad because when you be, especially if you're a beginner, you cannot have high expectations and actually be able to speak a lot. Right. Because Making you're going mistakes to make mistakes. Is part of the game. Exactly. It's mm -hmm. very, very important. So I'd say those are some of my favorite things. The other thing too is you can you can also discuss more idioms and phrases and I think adults have more that they can kind of pull from because of their worldly knowledge, their knowledge of their native language, things like that. Right. The children might not have. Right. Like the untranslatables. Exactly. And uh and and let me give I'd like to give our listeners a few tips on teaching adults or uh what was the untranslatable again if they're uh, um Oh, uh, they smell of soil. Smell of soil. <laughs> so all of our soil-smelling <laughs> students out there, um, what's, what's important, I would say, is finding a healthy balance between making it communicative but also giving them that extra language knowledge that they crave. Because mm -hmm. you're going to say sentences, and they'll pick up on, you know, oh, well, why did you use a different form here? Or why did you use a different case here? Um, things like that. And so they'll pick up on those subtle things More if you're talking very do. slowly and clearly. More than the what younger we, ones do. They pick up on oh, those Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. And the other thing is, too, uh, I've taught a lot of adults who had previous experience. Um, this was in the German context, and they had previous experience learning German. but th So they had a lot of vocabulary they could draw from. It was just connecting the dots and getting them to feel comfortable to speak. Mm -hmm. So I would say also what's important when you teach adults is I think some teachers try to shy away from using their native language. In this case, for me, it was English because I was teaching in the United States. And I actually, I believe kind of the opposite of that. I think it's, it's good to build on already, you know, they have all this language knowledge of their first language, you know, 60 years of it for one mm -hmm. of my students. And it's like, why, why would you cut that off and only have it be, I understand the, the advantages of having it be immersive. I get that. But at the same time, that's not how we naturally learn a language usually, right? Yeah. We use our, our first language to help us kind of as a crutch or, or as a, I don't know, maybe even as a slingshot, if you will, to, <laughs> to help us 
you know, and the nice thing is if you're learning German and you're an English speaker, there's a lot of similarities, maybe not in grammar structure per se, but definitely with vocabulary. Mm-hmm. When I, um, when I was in college and took German, we had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a lady in our class. She was probably in her 60s, I would say, somewhere in her 60s. Oh, I remember her. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, um, I, she's, I think, a good example of what you're saying because she was probably as, as, like, when it came to writing papers and stuff, she was probably by far the best. Like, she probably, you know, was the most meticulous with grammar and stuff like that. But, like, getting her to talk, uh, was for Perry. I mean, not for me. I wasn't getting her to talk, but for Perry was kind of like pulling teeth. Perry's our German teacher. And also, um, like she wasn't the strongest talker. Like it was a lot of uhs and ums and thinking about putting the sentences together. And I think it, that, you know, that goes to what you were saying. Like it, there was a lot of, a lot of perfectionism in her conversation, making sure she's getting the right word every time thinking about, is it dem or dare, where it's like, you're really stalling this sentence for something that's not going to make a huge difference at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but but you have to somehow either try to get your adult students over that barrier or just sadly try to work with it, you know, because yeah. I had some adult students who, who for them, it was really nice because they only really cared about speaking. But mm-hmm. then I had a lot of other students that, that were older where it was really important for them to get everything grammatically correct. For me, right. it's all about meaning. It's not all about grammar. It's one thing if you want to be an actual German teacher, then I think it's very important that you speak, you know, using correct grammar structures. But, you know, if you travel to Germany and that's why you're taking a German class, so you have basic survival German Germans aren't going to care if you use der, die, dem, des, das. Right. They, they won't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they, they get it. <laughs> exactly. So that's that can be a difficulty <clears throat> when you teach adults, whereas with kids, it's not usually a problem. Um, yeah. Another thing, though, that I think is important when you teach adults is um, I prefer using literature with adults rather than music. Because I, I, tr- I try to use music in all my levels of language teaching because, as you know, I'm a big audiophile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a, I've always been a music lover. And, uh, Do what you from, know. Right. But, it comes more naturally. But, but the, the thing is, is that with adults, I think, like, it, it's kind of funny. I teach also, like, an English for teachers class at my school. And they're all 40-plus, and I'm teaching them English. And we actually listened to the song "Eat It" by Weird Al Yankovic, which is a, a which is a parody on "Beat It." Yeah. And uh, and we were going over food, so I thought it would be great. Well, then we spent almost 15 minutes because they wanted to translate the song word for word. Mm. So that's why I would rather actually do literature instead of a song because literature you can give it to your students in advance. Yeah, they can they translate can it on their own time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah. then we can do different things with the literature in class. And I think literature is nice because, like I said, a lot of adults, especially if they've taken previous language classes, they may have good vocabulary. So for them, reading is no problem. Yes. So they enjoy it. So it's a, it can be a really nice thing to do with adult uh, students. Yeah. And it's easier just in general for older people to sit down and actually read than getting uh you know like an eight-year-old to sit down and and read i would assume just guessing i don't know right well i would say with children if you're if you're reading the teacher needs to read it to them and it needs to be entertaining uh yes yes that's how i would say i would approach that so so we've talked about the youngins 
and the old fogies. Now I think it's time we meet a little bit in the middle. Um, I'd like to start with um, college students because I would I would say that's where I actually have the most teaching experience for German and for ESL. Um, and and the biggest thing with uh, college students is you need to I think with college students actually and teenagers is you need to give them content that's relatable to their lives. Because if we're talking about, I don't know, we're reading Goethe or Schiller or something, which, which is great if you're a, if you're a Germanist and, and you want to study German. But, you know, reading a text that was written hundreds of years ago is probably not really going to push your college students or your teenagers right. um, to, to be able to speak the language in a way. Now, if they're a German major or any language major for that matter, it's a different story. But I'm just talking students taking, you know, German 101, 102. That's that's how I felt when I read uh, The Odyssey in high school. I mean, that's in English, but it's written in, in, in like Bible English, essentially. And it was really hard for me to, uh, to get interested in it. I was like, I, I can't get past this language that I would never talk. It, exactly. So, so you need to find um, not only usable practical language but i think it's also really important to do topics that are interesting right mm -hmm. um so sports is always a good one music is usually really good i always would try to especially when i was teaching esl i would always bring in english idioms to start class and i would have my students kind of guess what it means and try to exactly that's probably how this podcast uh, started <laughs> before we even knew about it but, um, uh, yeah. Do you ever mm -hmm. use clips from The Office? I feel like that's a popular. Oh yeah, go to. There's a there's a really good clip from The Office where they talk about the usage of whom, uh. which obviously we don't really use in American spoken English, but in writing it's used. Yeah. And so we talked about it, and of course Oscar gets it right. It was actually it might have even been Toby who got it right. Okay. Um, it was either Oscar or Toby, but it either was way, just, it wasn't Michael. We know that. Well, right, right. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, office clips are really good. Um, also I like Simpsons clips once in a okay. while. Um, yeah, I think, I think the important thing whenever you teach students aged anywhere from, I would say 14 or 15 to in their twenties is make it relatable. I think you need to have a good balance of fun, but then also do some actual schoolwork. Mm -hmm. I think if I would love to play games with my students all hour, but at the end of the day, I need to also teach them skills that sadly games probably won't teach them. Right. You know, um, being able to communicate in a more formal way. Um, what would be funny, though, is to do a game like where the person who can come up with the most formal sentences wins. That would be an interesting or you game. Or do like it? mock interviews or something like that. For I work. actually did that in my classes last week. Oh, oh for your English? Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, and for me, it's very important to give them practical, useful language because I think I think with children, obviously, you want to do that as well. But for me, with children, it's more about building the vocabulary and and the passion for learning languages, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And and them having fun because you're inspiring the uh, gen next generation. That's what you're really doing. That's Pushing that's what I'm hoping to do. Forward. Absolutely. Right. And with with teenagers and with college students, it's more about you know they need to develop you know, some academic, you know, language skills. They also need to develop some social language skills as well. Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, we mentioned using modal verbs like would, could, should. Yes. You know, those are very Participles. important. 
of course, your, <laughs> your favorite. Yeah, so, so for me teaching college students and teens, it's really about, as I said, keeping it relatable, a balance of fun and seriousness, because I've had a few lessons before. Where I've tried to make it all fun, and then chaos ensues, and your right. lesson plans can really go just off the rails. Yeah. Um, so, our, so we've talked about the three segments, really. Do you have a preference, one that, y- that you, you're most excited to uh, teach that suits your personality the best? Um, I would probably say, co- I, well, I like college students probably the most. Also, also like the students at my school are, are really bright. And a lot of them, you know, they're about 15 to 18, 19. That's a decent age. They're, they're smart enough where we can have a deep conversation in class and do it all in English. Right. And it's really good. Right. Um, whereas, but you know, there's, there's aspects of each age group that I really enjoy with kids. It's to me, it's just like you go in a room and you have fun. <laughs> you know, you, you you play games, you sing songs, you know things like that. With with teens and college students, it's more, you know, it's a little more serious, but it can also get a lot deeper linguistically, yeah, philosophically, right? And with adults, I really like it because I feel like I'm learning a lot while I'm teaching them. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's like you guys have. I mean, I'm teaching you a language here, but you really have more to offer me than I do you. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I get that. So can do we both agree? I'm asking, do we both agree that uh, the best time to learn a language is as young as possible? Oh, yeah, 100%. And that the longer you wait, uh, you know, you're a set, you know, it's just as young as possible is, is always the best way to do it. Well, I think I think it, it is one of the best ways for a lot of reasons, because obviously if you start younger, you, you have a step up on everybody else who starts older. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Two, like you mentioned, that kind of this, this, I don't know if the right term is sponginess, but like your brain can really absorb a lot, I think, when you're younger. But I will say, um, and, and this obviously would be a, an entire different episode in itself, but I think there are advantages that adults have over children when it comes to learning a language. It may not be accent and pronunciation, because there's a lot of studies out there that show that really if you want to ever become very native-like, it helps. You're most likely to develop that really more natural native type of accent when you're young. However, adults have different advantages. I mean, in theory, you should be a lot smarter as an adult than you are as a child. Um, According to that study I mentioned to you, uh, they mentioned he, uh, the, the author has a bunch of different months and years and, 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 you know, what's best at that age. Mm-hmm. And they said that from one to six months, year one to six month old, uh, in this time period, babies are capable of making sounds used in all the languages in the world. However, a child will learn to talk using only uh, the sounds in words in this, and their environment. That's why you may never be able to properly roll your R's or pronounce Oza. Uh, an African click language. I don't know if right. I pronounced it right, but I felt like I did, and I felt good hey, doing it. Hey, you're you're trying. That's, <laughs> that's all that matters. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's essentially saying that's like, I, I mean, ideally, you start immersing as early as possible, just to even have the best chance of pronouncing, uh, you know, things as well as possible. Um, and and obviously that doesn't say you know that doesn't mean to say like a one. You're like oh shit, it's too late. But that does mean that one's you're way better off than you are at five. That's for sure. As far mm-hmm. as the pronunciation goes, right. even five's pretty good, probably. Right. 
And the other thing I also would like to mention is that specific age groups have way different motivation. We kind of touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the segment, but uh, a lot of small children don't have the same driving motivation to learn language, right? A small child, they're fueled by their curiosity and their imagination. Right. They're just so, going where they're told to go. Like they're in a cl- in the class because right. they're supposed to be there. Right. So I would say it's very important when you have young children, you don't want to overcorrect them. If they make mistakes, just let, let it happen. Right. If, right. if I have a student and he says he go to the park, um, I might either I might say, oh, yes, he, he goes to the park or I'd say, oh, yes, he went to the park. But I'm not going to stop them and say goad is wrong. Don't say goad. Right. You know, children make these mistakes naturally in their own languages. I think it's also, like I mentioned earlier on, movement and activity is key. You don't want kids sitting in a desk for an hour. Um, you don't want to do that. The other thing is, too, within that same vein, you want to keep the momentum going. You don't want to. I try to really think about good transitions in my lesson plans for children. I try to think about that more so than I do with um, adults and uh, teens. I would say with teens, like I said, the most important thing is involving their own interests, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're a teenager, that's that time in your life where you like really start to get super serious about things, whether it's music or literature or sports or video games or, or whatever. So find a way to involve their interests. I think with teens, it's also very, very important to create a, a, a strong rapport with your students. You want to yes. have a good relationship with your students. You want them to feel comfortable to talk to you. Um, you know, you, I try to be as open as possible with my students. Um, I've heard. Yeah, right. And with, <laughs> and with adults, I would say that it's important to use, one, using age-appropriate activities. Even though adults have the language skill set of a child, you know, they're beginners, I wouldn't play them children's songs. I just right. wouldn't. Because it's a little, when you're an adult and you hear a children's song. Exactly. Um, and in that same vein, I also wouldn't equate language ability with intelligence. Obviously, if you're an adult and you're beginning language, one, shout out to you for being outgoing enough and brave enough to try to learn a language later in your life. I think that's awesome. And just because you can't you know, express yourself in your, in your second language you're learning does not mean that you are stupid by any means. Um, and I think with adults, you also need to provide much more uh, detailed feedback because they want this feedback because they want to know why it is where it is. Exactly. Yeah. And most of them, you know, will write this down. Kids and teens may not write these things down. Mm-hmm. So, so according to a Harvard study, they say that there are um, six main ways to, by which you can learn a language, sight, taste, smell, sound, touch, doing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious, sight's obvious. I'm curious how, Sound is obvious. Mm-hmm. Touch is kind of obvious too, and doing is kind of obvious. Taste and smell is what I'm really curious about. I would say the way you would have to use taste and smell would be, you know, take your take your kids to a restaurant, to a grocery store, to to somewhere where they can actually activate these senses, mm-hmm. right? It's not like you're going to, I don't know, do classroom objects and have them lick pencils and desks that's obviously <laughs> obviously not going to be a great idea remember what that pencil tastes like exactly <laughs> I don't know but, if you remember how to say but it. you know you could you could do something like uh do a little potluck with your students and then that would also open up the opportunity for 
a little cultural lesson about what is a potluck because not everywhere in the world does a potluck. Yeah, put some context to that language. Exactly. Well, and that's really important too because a lot of language in the classroom is very decontextualized, right? I mean, we're we're learning language, we're talking about it in the classroom. It's kind of in this weird bubble. So yes. if you can contextualize it, it's always going to help your students. So that's what I would say though for taste and smell would be I the only thing I can really equate it to would be like doing lessons with foods and things like that. My school, my elementary school, and shout out to them because I didn't until actually the second I didn't realize how cool this was. But um, they had something. This is my elementary school way back in the day. So uh, called um, they had this event called Bon Voyage, and what they did was throughout the elementary school they had a bunch of different booths set up, and um, people from various countries, you know, within the school, mm-hmm. uh, would bring uh, foods or some sort of activity or something and there'd be little booths set up and you can go to booths and do different cultural things and taste different foods and um you know i never really thought about how cool of an experience that was and that was a great way to uh, experience language and culture through food because they were like this is and then they'd say you know the whatever language of of uh, what it was you know and they'd say this is and what's in it is this, and they'd say they'll what's in it in the languages of you know, and then have like translations next to it or something, right? And uh, I also did a um, a French. I've mentioned this before, but I did a French breakfast in high school as well, and brought different. And we were like talking about the foods we were eating and what they were, and um, it's also fun because who doesn't like eating? Oh, for sure, I agree with you. Uh huh. So. Um, this is a question that I'm curious about, and this is more – you don't have an answer to this, but I was wondering – Oh, I'm curious now. If, if, we're do, if we're talking learning languages, for a lot of older people, it can be used purely for a brain exercise thing where it's like, this keeps my brain active. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm probably never going to use Portuguese, but I like learning it. My grandpa used to speak it, and I want to speak Portuguese. Is there ever a um, – do you think there is an argument to be made for saying that learning a language could be considered pointless if um, there are other brain activities, for example, learning an instrument or, I don't know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, that would be more productive meditation? That would, I don't know. That would be more productive for your aging, uh, for your mind that smells of, of soil. Um would there be something that's more productive for your time rather than learning a language? Could that argument be made? Oh, I'm sure it could be made. I don't know enough about brain development and cognitive science and neuroscience. Right. That's why I figured I, I'm asking a question that's out of your uh Oh, this is way, way out of my pay grade, out of my pay grade, <laughs> out of my knowledge, uh, out of my skill set. But but what what I would say is I think there are probably things with learning a language that activate certain areas of your brain that maybe only a few other types of things. Like I've heard uh, that music can also do this, like playing an instrument, singing, things like this. Right. But, but I think that the thing about languages, even as you get older, I just think the, and this is going to sound obviously really corny. And I mean, you and our listeners know <laughs> damn well that I'm very cheesy and corny. That's starting at times. to be like corny Chad TM is, is going to be a new t-shirt that we got. Right. It should be right. Um, put my face on some corn or something, but yeah. Um, (laughs) basically what, like what, what I mean though is, is that it, the beautiful thing about learning any language is 
I think the point of it at the end of the day is to try to build connections and relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So if there's a way where you can do that, and nowadays it's very easy with the internet, with YouTube, with their, their websites, I'm, I'm sure where you can go and, and, you know, talk to people who are native speakers or whatever. And, and I think for some, a lot of people will learn languages, like you said, because their grandfather was from Portugal maybe, or, you know, they have this connection and, and I think, I think it's just like a, a there's just something very innate and, and human about language. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it can be a whole different aspect and conduit for getting to know someone in a way that you never realized before. Speaking and of also corny thing right, to say. Right. <laughs> and, and also the really changing your perspective on things. Yes. Yes. So that's fair. Even if there might be some sort of neuroscience argument to be made for saying that, well, once you reach this age, if you're going for cognitive strength and health, you might be better. Your time might be better spent doing this. I oh, think yeah. that's that does not to say that there's not different aspects of your thought and mind and, and just and just getting to know humans that still aren't useful, even mm-hmm. if it's not the best way to keep your brain alive and active. Exactly. Technically. It's still a good way. That's not saying it's not a good way. Oh, for sure. It's definitely a good way, without a doubt. Well, I think this has been a great discussion about teaching languages to different ages. I hope all of our listeners out there who are interested in language teaching or our teachers themselves will uh, gain some new insights after listening to this. Um, but speaking of gaining new insights through listening, uh, I think we should uh, talk about our song of the pod for this episode. Yes, yes. This one's powerful. And um, the the composer is Alfred, Alf- Alfredo Rodriguez. He's a Cuban composer and pianist and singer. And um, there are a couple different iterations of the song because he's really the guy. He's the writer. He just has bands. And so the version that I really liked was the, through a Tiny Desk concert, and that was the Elf, Alfredo, El, Alfredo Rodriguez Trio. But there are different bands that he's played with. However, the song is called Yamaya, and it's um, and, and there's not much words. I mean, he repeats in some iterations. He repeats Yamaya over over again and does some uh, what do you call that? Primal screaming, <laughs> something like that. Sure. Um, and, um, he is an amazing pianist, like the effortlessness and speed with which he plays some things. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And that's why I love the tiny desk, just to really watch his fingers go and just watch really just to list how effortless it was. And, and that's, that's the mark I think of a, of a great, um, pianist is just having that level of control and making it look so so natural and so easy i remember i've been um playing some difficult stuff these days and what my piano teacher has been doing a lot recently that i haven't really even noticed until she does it is that she'll just put her hands on my shoulders and uh like i'll notice how like clenched up my shoulders are and how Mm -hmm. tense i am and just doing that makes me aware of it and i you know relax immediately and it does have a huge benefit and i think a huge part of that control is just uh, you know a, a, a extreme comfort, and uh, and just you know obviously confidence in what you're doing. Obviously, I mean that's clear that he has that. But right, can I can I give you a little tip, musician and musician? Please. 
So, so I've, I've noticed this as well with my guitar playing. Whenever we, you know, musicians who play an instrument where you don't, your, your breathing doesn't dictate the sound of the instrument, right? So if you play trumpet, obviously your air going in and out will influence the sound. However, with piano and guitar, doesn't really matter when we breathe or how we breathe, but I am willing to bet you that on difficult passages, you probably hold your breath. Yes, we. I've talked about this with my piano teacher as well. <laughs> yeah, that I and do. You just want to yeah. make sure you breathe. And I have. I. I was looking at a, a friend of mine's uh, score one time, his sheet music when when we were still in college, and he had marks on there where he would breathe. Uh, yeah, I have some of those too, where it's more to break up uh, phrases. But my piano teacher does make a point to say that um, use that like breathe use that time that you're breaking up a phrase to as a breathe point as well as if you were a singer and that was a breathe point use mm-hmm. it the same way where yep. it's like you're like and it's also especially for someone like me who is, still needs to like remind myself to breathe it's a helpful reminder to breathe to use that as not just a you know a, a break in your hand movement but also a break right. in your make sure you're breathing. Right, because I because I tell you after listening to this song, um, I feel like Alfredo Rodriguez would probably be passed out uh, if he wasn't <laughs> breathing right. Because I mean, the dude plays and plays and plays on the song. It's amazing. Yes, um, it's a it's just such a great piece of music. And um, I'll, I, um, oh, go ahead. I was I was hooked. First couple bars in. I figured it. you'd like it. I was too. I, I I was I was amazed. It was great. He, and he, he doesn't really sing in this one. But it some, does seem like he has a beautiful voice, and I actually did try to find stuff where he's singing more, but I couldn't find much stuff. Uh, he, I don't, I don't think he's a huge singer, but he might throw throw in some lines here and there. Right. Um. And so the name of the song, as I mentioned, was Yamaya. And do you know what that is? I was actually just going to ask you the same thing. Do you know? Do do you? Uh, you have yeah. the information. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's it's the uh, um, Yoruba um, Orisha or goddess of the living ocean. Who, uh, who is also considered to be the mother of all. She's the source of all the waters, including the rivers of Western Africa, especially the river, I think it's Ogun, Ojun. Um, her name is a contraction of Ye Omo Eya, which means mother whose children are the fish. And it's it's not just a Yoruban thing because uh, Alfredo is a uh, Cuban. Cuban. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's more based in um, Afro... Uh, Caribbean uh, um, religions in general, like like mm. I, I believe it spans over many because the popular one of the, or one of the popular religions in Cuba is Santeria, which is mm-hmm. also a um, Afro-Cuban or excuse me Afro, uh, you know a Caribbean uh, religion, and uh, they also believe in the Yamaya, which as you said is the mother of all living things as well as the owner of the oceans and seas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, that'll be on our Twitter, Untranslatable1. Please check it out because um, if you enjoy any sort of artistry and piano and, uh, and just a good sound, you'll love this song because he's got the skills that kills. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So check it out on our Twitter. Let us know what you think about it. We would love to hear from you. Um, well, Well, Jared, I thought it would only be appropriate since... Um, actually, well, no, we're going to do that next. Uh, I want to, uh, sorry, I want to talk about um, the new Czech word of the pod or phrase of the pod that I have learned, which I find very helpful, and it is mamrad, which means I like, or I think this is better equated to 
actually what they say in German, which would be like Ich habe gern. Okay. Which is like mom, mom in Czech means have. And, and, and Rad in this case, I'm pretty sure is kind of like the German equivalent of gern. But basically, I, I like is the way I would, how would you tra- explain, try to how would translate you expl- this. How would you explain... Uh, uh, oh, uh, how would you explain gern to our uh, listeners? I, mean, I don't even fully know how to explain that. It's not a use it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a, if you add it to something in German, it means you like it, right? Yeah, or like happily. Like I'd happily... Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I mean, it happily seems like too much. Yeah. I would I would just say it's like a you know, if you say if you say ich esse ich esse uh, pizza, I eat pizza. But then if you add that gern on there, ich right. esse gern pizza, I like, I like to eat pizza. Right. So it okay. changes the meaning. Yes. Um, so yes, so mamrad is I like um which is I think the easiest way to translate it. So for mm-hmm. example, um Really important sentence for you, Jared, especially after your first beer review. Mamrad pivo. Mamrad pivo. Oh, it's pivo beer. Uh huh. Mamrad pivo. Mamrad pivo. Because what I was you, gonna say mm-hmm. was mamrad uh, tonewood freshies. There, you could also say that for sure. Okay. <laughs> mamrad tonewood freshies. Absolutely. Uh, but what's interesting with this uh, term is if you ask someone, "Do you like?" So if I wanted to know if if you do you like. Um, Tonewood Freshies, I would say um, uh, mash rad Tonewood Freshies because you're a man. But if I was talking to a woman, if I asked your sister if she liked Tonewood Freshies, I would have to say mas rada Tonewood Freshies. Okay, that's how you'd ask a woman if she liked. Uh Okay, interesting. So so I can see myself in the near future, though, accidentally leaving that that A off (laughs) and then maybe maybe offending some some people here. I mean, that's quite a change, though, because it's mam rad for men. And masrada. No, no, for... no. Ma- ma- mamrad is I like. Mashrad would be do you like. Oh, mash or mashrada would be do, do you, you like, like for female. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. You got it. So, you so yeah. Anyways, uh, since we were talking about teaching today, yes. I thought it would only be appropriate to give you some teacher jokes. Please. So here we go. What is a math teacher's favorite sum? Uh, some of all fears. <laughs> you must have some real evil math teachers. <laughs> no, Jared, the answer is summer. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man, I could just imagine you cracking some of these around the water cooler. Right. The, whole, the talk of the uh, talk of the school. That's right. All right, Jared, I got I got an original one for you. Oh, my favorite. What do you call a teacher that doesn't take attendance? Ooh, I think I know the answer, but I hate doing this. What's the answer? Absent-minded. Oh my God! Hit that ham horn. Oh yes. I hate doing that, but I. <laughs> I'll let you steal my thunder. We're co-hosts. That's how this works. I think that just shows how simpatico we are, really. That's true. I agree. <clears throat> uh, so, how is an English teacher? Actually, let me rephrase this. How is a language teacher like a judge? I don't know. I don't know. They give out sentences. Oh, I like that one. That's a good one. That's a pretty good one, right? Uh, Yes. All right, Jared, you probably will be able to guess this punchline. Why did the teacher wear sunglasses? I don't know. Because his students were so bright. 
Oh yeah, I would. That would never. I would never think that. That's okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and my last joke of our episode is: Why did the teacher write the instructions on the window? Uh, so the students would actually see it. No, because the teacher wanted the lesson to be very clear. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I was thinking none of the kids were paying attention. So the teacher wanted to put it in a place where the kids were actually looking. Oh, that that makes sense. That's not bad. I see. I I see where you're going. Thank you. I, I smell what you're stepping in. Thank you. I have quite the uh, quirky mindset. You know, it's that, that is fair. <laughs> That's fair. But I love that I just like make fit in these drops. Like I try my hardest to fit them in where I could just also say a sentence that is way better than the. <laughs> hey, the drop. I like the drops. I like them too. That's why I use them. Adds a nice little touch. Well, Jared, I think it's time to leave our listeners with a quote of our pod. And uh, for this episode, I found a really um, interesting Chinese proverb, which is, do not confine your children to your own learning, for they were born in another time. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, that's the problem with the world. <laughs> I have a... Um, my... Uh, I, I, my grandparents have often uh, told stories about how uh, their their parents wanted to like it's almost seems like they wanted their kids to be stupid, and it was just because they were so afraid and and struggled to talk about anything, you know, any any topic that was serious like sexual or about anything personal or mm-hmm. emotional, where it's like it's it's like do you realize that uh, it's like it's weird to realize later this is what they were saying that our parents were trying their hardest to keep us stupid. Like, it seems like, uh, like, it seems like, like, don't you want us to, to be as smart as possible? Why would you be like happily and, and, and uh, keeping stuff away from us? Cause you think you're protecting us for something when it's like, aren't you better off in teaching, uh, teaching, you know, uh, kids as much as possible and then allowing them to figure out, uh, you know, make decisions on their own. Yeah, I would I would say so. I think the other thing too is that the way we learn and the way that children today learn is different because they're growing up in such a different environment. Technologically, what we know about human development, what we know about education, um, and and you know just because you did something traditionally this way doesn't always mean that it's the right way to do things. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of something, but I feel like I've even still had situations like that uh, with my parents. Right. Well, what I can tell you as a language teacher is that we tend to try to teach language the way we learned it because we think it's the best way to do it. Right. It works for me. Right. However, I think sometimes we need to try our best to remove ourselves from the situation and look at it as non-biased as you possibly can, which isn't always easy um, right. But right. I think it's important to adapt to the times and the things that, you know, we have a lot of advantages currently that we can use to, you know, to help our students learn languages and prepare them for a, hopefully a better future. So exactly. So don't confine your children to your own learning for they were born in another time. A little Chinese proverb mm-hmm. to end our episode. So we thank you. Please follow us on Instagram at Untranslatable Podcast. Tweet at us or slide into our DMs if that's more your style at Untranslatable One. 
um, at Twitter. And then also shoot us an email if uh, there's anything that you would like us to discuss. Uh, untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you next time.